Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. just got back this morning from shopping. We were, uh, we, we do a whole blitz. We like go marathon shopping for a weekend and, sh and get everything taken care of for our whole family and everybody. And uh, it's kind of like for me, I, you can chop off that monkey's tail one inch at a time or just one good lop. So, so we just got, got her done. And uh, you should have seen our car. So first service, I drop her off. I go unload everything at the house so the kids don't see it. And then I get here, and it's like already 9.20. I partially miss worship. And I'm like, oh, I hate missing worship. And then uh, there were some things going on this morning. So I come in like halfway through worship, and I was just like, man, God made up for it. I just, I hate missing worship. It's just my favorite part of the service for me. And, uh, and man, it's, it's the only ministry to Jesus. We have all these ministries in the church. The kids are learning, they're growing, they're getting poured into and prayed for and all these things while you're in here. We have youth ministry, we have life groups that they talked about on the announcements. We have all these things, but isn't it amazing that, that the only ministry to Jesus is worship? Like, and what we tell, what we coach the band and we coach the leaders and stuff is like, this actually is only a public overflow of what's already happened in the private heart and those private moments. Like, this needs to be cultivated at home for a month as you're building your set list, as you're organizing, as you're planning, as you're learning these songs. Like, this is just only the overflow of the heart posture what's happened for a month. We have about four bands, so they do about once a month. And, and, and what happens is, like, we just say this is only the public display of what should be happening inside your heart. And that's every musician, every leader. And that's, that's because this is a position where it's a ministry to Jesus, and it never has to stop. It never, just because the music stops doesn't mean our heart and our worship stops. And, and last week we kicked off a, a series called He Shall Be Called. And we have all these, these titles and, and names of Jesus. And, and let me just tell you, there's, as I talked about last week, and it's the heart of worship. There's 951 names or titles of God. 951 in the word. That's every nature of his will and what he wants to do. It's not just a title. Listen, he's not just a judge. He's a friend. He's a father. He's a counselor. He's a prince of peace. He's mighty. He's the I am. He's the alpha. The man. He, all these 951 natures of his goodness. So all of heaven all the time is worshiping. So we focused on David last week to kick off the series and to focus on worship. He's dancing in the middle of the street, and he says he's dancing with all of his might. And, 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 and we said, if you only knew what was behind the shout. If you only knew, like you heard Kenny shouting, glory today. If you only knew the story and the revelation and the depth behind that shout, there's something that, that is there. And, and this is the beauty of worship is, is that we get to express him in all these variety of ways. But if you only knew what was behind the shout. So David, he's in the street, he's dancing. He says he was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And yet Saul's daughter's looking through the window at him and judging him and saying that he's being vulgar. And he's, 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 he's basically drawing attention to himself, and the servants will, will, will be offended by what he's doing. And you know what he tells her? He says, I've had an encounter with God. I dance this way for God. And guess what? Next time, I'm going to dance even more undignified than this. 
This was a man that was running from his life. He's a man that was, that was entrusted with the Ark of the Covenant, was entrusted with his presence. Somebody mishandled it, so they had to store it for three months in a house of Obed-Edom, and he was blessed. His entire family was blessed for just hosting his presence for three months. So now David, every six steps, they're, they're moving this Ark of the Covenant. Every six steps is a full-on worship service. And David is only in an ephod. Now, with the wrong eyes looking through a window and the wrong eyes without a heart of worship, it becomes judgment for when you don't know the heart of the worship. It becomes judgment, and we become fixed on, well, well, well it's not in the right key. Oh, they, they've been singing this same song for 12 minutes. Well, that wasn't scripted. That wasn't on the set list. There should be more order to this service. So there's a moment when presence takes over and something just grabs somebody and then it's just, I present myself as a living sacrifice to you. Saul's daughter didn't see it. She didn't see what was happening in that moment in the street. But David, he doesn't care. He's in an ephod. Listen, he was a king in a priestly garment. He had to take off his robe to worship the king who already had the robe on. Listen, in identity, he puts the ring on our finger, puts the robe on our back. But in worship, we're all the same. In worship, it brings us to this place to actually encounter his names and his 951 natures the same. We don't need to get overwhelmed by our circumstance or our problems or our giants. We get to be overwhelmed by his presence. That's worship. That's worship. It's a revelation of who he is, and we don't need music for it. We don't need a song for it. It's a posture of a heart. So last week, we kicked this off, and this week, we're just going to continue on what praise is. So worship is we, we, we get to adore the Father, we get to adore God, we get to recognize God for who He is. Praise, we get to thank Him for what He's doing. Praise is simply a posture of the heart and an acknowledgement of thanksgiving for what He's doing, done, or will do. That's the cool thing about testimonies. George, uh, he's the one, George and Katie serve the coffee pretty much every week here, most weeks. And George was out there with the big beard. He shared his story with our home group this week. Absolutely beautiful. Man, a, a boy that was beaten, a boy that was, you know, imprisoned and, 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 and just a drug deal, all these things. And I'll let him share his story to the detail publicly with you if he chooses to. But, but here's the deal. This, this man encounters God just a couple of years ago at best, gets baptized here, and then gives his heart to Jesus and is now a totally different person, literally a different person. He says, he says you, the first week there... You spoke and you admitted that you were a sinner and you admitted that you were messed up and jacked up and you admitted how, how, how you didn't have things together. He's like, that drew me in to know this is my church because I don't have to be perfect here and God will still save me from my mess. Listen, that's what worship does. Worship says, listen, we're all, we're all equal here. I don't need to put on my robe and sit in my high chair up here and act like I'm better than you and say, no, listen, I take off my robe and I get my ephod on. And I'm like, listen, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once a sinner. I was once a depressed, suicidal person. I was once a drunk and a, and a lustful man, but now, but God. There was an end suddenly where I will dance before the Lord with all of my might. And I don't care who sees it. I don't care if the wrong eyes even judge me for it. Why? Because I'm dancing. And guess what? Next time I might be even a little crazier than I am now. There's a song that we sang at the beginning of, of, of service here. Hark the herald angels sing. And I just, I want to talk about praise and what it is. And, and I think a lot of times with these Christmas carols, they become uh, autonomic for us. We have two nervous systems. One's autonomic, and it means like our heartbeat, our respirations, that's automatic. It's, we don't have to think. Right now, you're not sitting here thinking how, how your heart can beat the next beat. 
you're thinking how amazing Pastor Aaron is. Or maybe what's for lunch. Or how long is he really going to preach? Or is he going to cry three more times? I, you know, there's a, there's a variety of things you could be thinking right now. But you're not thinking about your heart beating or, or taking this breath. That's autonomic. But I believe the Christmas carols, when we sing them, Jingle Bells and Silent Night and Noel and, and Hark the Herald Angels, they become autonomic. It's, it's autonomous. We just know it. The tune comes on, we know it. Like we were at my daughter's Christmas program this week at Troy Christian. She's in the band, and it was just a fun concert. And all of a sudden, Jingle Bells comes on. Now, Hadassah asked for Jingle Bells at least three times a month all year long. She's like, Mommy, can you please play Jingle Bells? By the time July or August came around, Nicole's like, I am not playing Jingle Bells anymore. Because for a while there, it was like three, four times a week. Hadassah loves Jingle Bells. So all of a sudden, she's sitting next to me, Jingle Bells comes on, the high school band is playing it at this time, Jingle Bells comes on, just the first sound of it, she knew it, she runs to Nicole, and I see her holding her knees, looking up at her, Jingle Bells, <laughs> she's singing this song, she knows it, it's autonomic, it's, it's autonomous for her, she knows it, but I want to go and hark the herald angels sing, because I think there's depths to these lyrics, there's depths to songs, there's a story, so last week it was, if you only knew what was behind the shout. This week, I want to go with, if you only knew what was behind the lyrics, if you only knew what was behind that song, you know, there's this song that we sing, it is well with my soul, it is well. <sighs> this man, during the great Chicago fire, this wealthy man, this attorney, loses his business. His family had plans to, to go on this journey and go to Europe on this ship, and and his, he had to send his wife and four daughters ahead of him without being able to go because he had to finalize some plans with his building that burned down in the Chicago fire. So he says, I'll meet you there in a week. So he was going to take the next ship. All of a sudden, he gets a telegraph. The ship had sunk. His wife and all of his daughters died. He goes and he takes the next ship over to, to try to figure out if there's remains in Europe or, or what that looks like. And he goes, and at the very spot where that ship wrecked and where his daughters and his wife passed away, he wrote the song, It is well with my soul. It is well. A man that loses everything, he's saying, he's glorifying God. Listen, if we only knew what was behind some of these songs. And I believe Hark the Herald Angels is one of them. So there's a guy named Charles Wesley. Anybody heard of the name Wesley? John Wesley and Charles were brothers, and they were the founders, co-founders, essentially, of the Methodist Church, and then eventually split off in also the Wesleyan Church. So these were revivalists. They were reformers. They were evangelists. And what happens is Charles Wesley is known to be, had written 6,500 hymns. 6,500 years. I think Charles Wesley captured a little bit of the 951 natures of God. If you worked for the next 50 years writing hymns, you'd have to write multiple songs every week to get 6,500 hymns in your lifetime. This man, 6,500 songs. So he wrote this song in the year 1739. It's not the version we sing. His colleague, a really good friend of him, George Whitfield, who was an evangelist in the evangelical movement and also a colleague in this group of revivalists, including Charles Wesley, he rewrote it a couple decades later, 1756, it got rewritten. Still not the version we sing. We sing a version from 1961 written by the Carols for Choirs. Not as cool as George Whitfield <laughs> and Charles Wesley. 
However, it became more lyrical pleasing to the tune in which we sing it in. But here's the deal. Some of the, it's, it's, it keeps the purpose and it keeps the context of the original lyrics. And we're going to put it up here. I'm just going to read some of them. I think it's fitting that as we go into this Christmas season, it is not just about a Christmas carol. It's not about cookies. It's not about a tree. It's not about buying all these presents. Trust me. I'd much rather not buy presents. Thanksgiving's one of my favorite holidays because we get to still be with family and we don't have to buy the presents. <laughs> like seriously, I do think like our culture wants to fast forward gratefulness and thankfulness to go from Halloween to Christmas. You see it in the stores. I'm not going to get on like a real big tangent here, but like we cannot forsake gratitude because then when the blessings come, we're not as grateful for them because we didn't enjoy the process. Different message next Thanksgiving, maybe. But anyway, here's, here's what it says. Hark, the herald angels sing. Now, hark, that's a word that means listen, alert, pay attention. There's something coming here. Now, herald, that's where we actually get the, the, the times, like for, for the newspaper, the herald. It actually means this. It says official messenger, a person or thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen, official ceremony to make proclamations or to carry a ceremonial message. The first two words of the song, hark the herald, angels sing. Now it's saying, listen, pay attention, something big is happening here. And then here's what the song says. It says, hark the herald, angels sing. Now I want you to, to look at the depth of these lyrics. This is the entire Christmas story for you and I. And we've sang this for some of us maybe decades, maybe a couple years, maybe multiple decades for some of you, like my dad. <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't think sometimes we pay attention to what's actually going on around us and we lose sight of the process and we lose sight of what the depth is, of what the heart of some of this is. So it says, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Listen, this is saying, hark the herald angels sing. It's saying, with the angelic host proclaim. Do you know Jesus' birth got the attention of the angelic? It got the attention of the angelic to celebrate that, wow, what our forefathers, what the prophets had said of the old. Listen, at that time, and, and we'll get into Luke 2 here in a minute, at that time, they only had the law. They only had the Old Testament, essentially. And they're saying, they're reading like, oh, oh, oh. We, we have to believe in the angelic realm. Charles here is, is capturing this. Like, there's an angelic realm that, realm that happened, and we'll get there in Luke 2, but, but here's the deal. If you believe, like, here, it's funny. I once was talking to a devil worshiper, and I was like, interesting, you know? I, I wanted to know where he came from. I wanted to know, what do you believe? Like, what, 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 are, what are your beliefs? And I started asking questions. I was like, well, do you believe in God? Like, he's like, well, of course I believe in God. If I believe in, in Satan, then I have to believe in God. He's, he's the counterpart to Satan. We all know that's not true. But then I said, well, then do you believe in angels? He's like, well, if I believe in demons, obviously I believe in angels. Angels are powerful. I'm actually afraid of angels. And he's going on to this. Listen, there, there's something powerful about angels. Let, let me read just a couple scriptures. Let's get off the path here. <laughs> Psalms 91.11 says this. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard all around you, all around your ways. Now listen, 
Psalms 91.11 is saying, listen, there are angels around us. There are protecting angels. There are guardian angels that are actually going before us that are around us. Amen. Had a little girl just come up to me after worship service. And I've already spoken on this once today. And she said, out of nowhere, she says, I saw the angels in here. She said, they were dancing all around me. I was dancing with the angels. And I said, what were they singing? She's like, I don't know, but it was beautiful. It was your daughter. And, and I said, well, was it fun? She's like, it was amazing. Listen, there are angels around us. And, and here's, here's a verse in Hebrews 13, 2. says this, do not neglect to show hospitality to your neighbor, for you may be entertaining angels. Amen. For the sake of possibly some new people being here, let, let me repeat a story I just told a couple months ago. My grandpa, about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, picked up a hitchhiker between Troy and Piquon 25A. Hitchhiker. So my grandpa picks him up, and my grandpa was just a very generous, kind man. He'd help anybody. Picks him up, gets in the car. The guy says, hey, Dorsey, how, how are you? And my grandpa's trying to think, did I already tell him my name? Did I greet him with my name? No, I didn't say my name. Kind of blew it off. He's like, oh, that's strange. He must know me. Must have seen me at church or something. And he says, he drives a half mile. He said, that'll be good, Dorsey. Thanks, that's good enough. Well, I can take you all the way to the city. I can take you somewhere. Do you need, do you need food? Do you, no, no, I just, I just needed to get to right here. Thank you. My grandpa lets him out, real person, lets him out, pulls away, looks in his mirror, he's gone. 20 to 30 years later, my grandma was shopping at a shop in Florida. My grandpa's sitting on the bench with his legs crossed like he always did, <laughs> sitting on a bench waiting for my grandma to be done shopping. A man, the same man, unaged, comes, sits next to my grandpa, says, Dorsey, how you been? You never know when you're entertaining angels. I'm just here to tell you, it's a real realm, okay? The Bible talks about them. But here's the coolest picture in the universe is, is the angels in heaven. There's a host of heavens. There's these hosts of angels. There's, Revelations 4 is this beautiful chapter that God laid out for the vision for John, the beloved. It wasn't ever meant, the Revelation was never meant to be a book to fear and to scare you and to scare the hell out of you. Like, it was meant to actually introduce you to the love of the Father and the angelic and heaven and, and, and what it looks like. And it's describing Jesus. It's describing heaven and it's talking about the beauty of worship in heaven. Who they never get bored of singing the same songs over and over and over. There's four living creatures with eyeballs all over them and around their wings, their arms, their legs, on their backs. Because they can never take their eyes off God because they understand 951 natures of him. It never gets old. It never gets boring. It never ceases to amaze them. Why? Because they sing, how do I know that? They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter. You don't hear them complaining about what key they're singing in. You don't hear them complaining about how long they're singing it. And for eternity, they're singing the same song over and over, and it never loses power. It never loses any purpose. It never loses any momentum. And it never gets old or boring to them. And they can't take their eyes off God. There's 24 elders. There's cherubim. There's, there's these things. And Revelation 4 is painting this picture, this beautiful moment of eternity, of worshiping God. So now we, we jump back to this song. And we jump back. And then we'll get to Luke 2. And then continuing on, it says, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. 
Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Last week, God with us. Heart the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven born, prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Listen, born that no man may die. And then skip a line, it says born to give them second birth. Now those, those two things are talking about the new birth. It's talking about the born again experience. It's talking about Jesus didn't just come to the earth to be a pretty little baby. He came to the earth to actually die on a cross that we can live in eternity forever with him, that he'll connect us back to the Father. No matter what we've done, no matter how long we've been there, he paid a price and took on a penance that he didn't deserve that was actually ours. This is what he bore. He bore you and I's mistakes, our choices, our lifestyles, the things that, that he forgave. But listen, he came that we could actually receive him as Messiah and become into this born-again experience, not just a natural birth, but now a spiritual birth. It's this beautiful thing. But then the line in between there, it says, born to raise the sons of earth. There's a verse in the Bible that says, the earth is moaning and groaning for what? The sons of God to manifest. That's what the word says. It says, the earth is moaning and groaning for the sons of God to manifest. Now, now just like a couple weeks ago, we said, listen, sons, we can be the brides, so daughters, you can be the sons. So the sons of God to manifest. This is saying he, born, he was born to raise the sons of the earth. Listen, here's, here's what, what's going on. Yesterday, we're driving around Easton in Columbus, and I've never been out on Black Friday. I don't intend to go out on Black Friday. But I experienced a taste of it yesterday. It was crazy. I could not find parking spots. There was people getting so mad. We come to this four-way stop in like a big shopping plaza where Nordstrom Rack was and some other stores and world market that we like to go to. And all of a sudden, like Nicole's down on her phone, like Facebook or something. I don't know. And, and I was like, are you seeing this? She's like, seeing what? <laughs> I had the right of way, four-way stop. I turn right. I'm out of the intersection. But an, a person coming at us turning left didn't want to miss her turn, so she turns left and then blocks the entire intersection so no one else can go. Wow. It was literally like World War III just broke out. <laughs> Horns start honking. Hand gestures start flying. Everybody's yelling and doing this and beyond. Use your imagination. Listen, when the earth is moaning and groaning for the sons of God to manifest, it may look and sound a lot like that. It may look and, uh, and sound a lot like people cussing each other out or, or people cursing the church because they had a bad experience. Listen, they say statistically, the worst day to work as a waitress, Bergman's, is what day of the week? Sunday. Sundays. <laughs> Around what time? After church. After church. What's that say? That says Christians are bad tippers. That's bullcrap. I'm just calling it. That waitress or waiter knows you just came up out of church. You're dressed up. You didn't just roll out of bed for that brunch. Your hair's done. You may even have a tie on. Not in here, but people have ties on. People go to church and wear ties. Like my dad. Twice. 
Listen, I get to pay him back now for all those times he used to, like, call me out from the pulpit. Straighten up, Aaron. Or my mom, man, she had that, she had that pinch down. It was the pinch and the twist. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anyway, we... <laughs> I did. <laughs> Can I tell you a really funny story that is just so off track and like spirit will probably just leave right now? So I grew up as a preacher's kid. I grew up on the pews and, and there was one time, I, I, I remember it, but I think I remember the story more than I remember the moment. I was four years old, supposedly. I'm on the front row, right? We're at a visiting church. My dad's a guest speaker. I'm on the front row. I'm digging through my mom's purse and I pull this thing. I was like, what's this? I pull off this sticky thing. Oh, stickers. I put her feminine product right on my forehead. I pop up from the front row and I'm looking around. The dove just went. Worst tippers. Nicole and I, we were speaking out, and we were coming back on a Sunday night. We took Rachel and Dustin with us uh, to, a, to a church. We were speaking at a school somewhere, and we're like, let's go to eat. Like, there's something inherent in me that any time a church service is over, I have to eat a meal. It could be 4 in the morning. It could be Tuesday at, at 6 p.m., and I eat supper at 4 p.m. After church, I got to eat. Just how I was raised. Thanks for that one. So, got to eat. So we go to this restaurant, and we're ministering to this guy. We're prophesying over him. We're talking about his destiny, how amazing he is, and how God's seeing him. And uh, so when we're doing that, we're like, okay, now let's put our money where our mouth is. The, sons of, the earth is moaning and groaning for the sons of God to manifest. Okay, we were at like a sports bar, and this dude had been waiting on probably half-drunk people most of the night. It was the only thing open. We end up there. The food was really amazing. And all of a sudden, we're like, the bill was 30, 40 bucks. And I was like, let's wow this guy. We put a $100 bill right in the thing. We we're like, let's just see. We, we just told him about the love of Jesus. Now let's demonstrate it. Okay, word and deed. So we put it in there, and now we're like, we go outside, and we're creeping through the windows. We're like, we are. We're like looking through the windows. And all of a sudden, man, we see him, and his face lights up. Listen, that's the sons of God manifesting for the earth, and earth that's moaning and groaning for us to actually demonstrate 951 of his natures, not just judge not just condemner, but actually lover, savior, messiah, healer. These are the things Jesus is, and we get to praise him for this. So, so it changes things when we actually get to demonstrate what a good God he really is. So here it's saying, born to raise the sons of the earth. We actually get to demonstrate how amazing he is. Let me, let's turn to Luke 2, 4 through 20. We'll end here. says this. So Joseph, everybody say the Christmas story. Christmas story. This is fun. How many have followed John Chris, the comedian? Yep. He's funny. Not the one I was actually thinking of, though. How many know Dude Perfect? Dude Perfect It's the number one video, uh, YouTubers out there. They're the number one followed YouTube group. And uh, they do these crazy videos. And they're doing this one. What was it called? Christmas what? They do grocery store, they do all these things. Faux pas. 
not stereotypes. So they're doing Christmas stereotypes, and all of a sudden he's like going crazy and doing Rage Monster or whatever that is. And he gets to the manger scene. He's actually, if the wise men are here, it's not, a, uh, it's not grammatically correct. It's funny because the shepherds actually saw Jesus as a baby. The Magi didn't find him until he was a toddler in a house. So if you have the wise men and the shepherds in your manger scene, get rid of the wise men, okay? <laughs> or get a toddler version of Jesus, put him in a house, and put the magi outside of that. <laughs> Jesus, come back. Come back. Four, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea. To Bethlehem, the town of David. We're going we're gonna to talk about that and why that's significant. Because he belonged to the house in the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there, I, I believe there's more significance to it than that. Jesus could not have been born in a hotel. It wouldn't have fulfilled the story. The city of David is where a place of shepherds where lambs were actually raised and slain, sacrificial lambs. He had to go back to prophetically fulfill that the lamb was going to be slain, so he was born where they were actually being raised. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I will bring you good news with this will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now here's where the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, comes in in the context in which it was written from. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. So here's the angel with an accompaniment of an angelic choir in celebration and singing this. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Glory to God and peace on earth. This is the angels. There's an angelic realm. We've, we've joined with angels in celebration of Jesus' birth and all of the prophecies being fulfilled for this seed to be put on the earth to eventually die on a cross. And a few months later, Easter... That we celebrate that. I love Christianity that I get to celebrate Christmas and Easter all the days of my life. Listen, it's not just CNE services. Like, you ever heard of the CNE Christians? They only go on Christmas and Easter. We, we get to celebrate this and join the angels in praise every time we acknowledge how good God is. Like every time we worship him, now we're joining with angels. We're joining in heaven. In Revelation 4, we're joining in heaven, acknowledging holy, holy, holy. Every holy was a new glimpse of God. Every holy, holy, you're amazing. Holy, wow, you're that awesome. Holy, you're the I am. Holy, you're alpha. Holy, you're the omega. Holy. Every holy was a new nature, a new revelation of who God is. That's what we get to join. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see these things that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It says, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning that had been told about this child. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just had been told. Wow, this is amazing. He comes to a place. He doesn't. Now, listen, some people miss this because they're thinking he needs to be born in a palace. He needs to be born into royalty. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, some of them missed it. They missed that he was Messiah. They missed that, that the Savior was just born in a manger in the city of David where shepherds are there, where sacrificial lambs are raised and slaughtered. They, they missed it. They missed it. But, but guess what? Even when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, it says they took the young lad up the mountain. Now, the young lad was about 15 years old. And the young lad could have outran Abraham, a really, really old man, any day of the week, Right? He says, we're going up there to make a sacrifice. Okay, Dad. Listen, I, I, I fully believe that Isaac knew what was happening, but he was, he, was, he was going in submission to say, whatever it takes. And then all of a sudden, he's like, wait, Dad, where's, where's the sacrificial lamb? Where's the lamb? In verse 7, Isaac says this, Genesis 22, 7. In verse 8, he says, Isaac spoke up and said to Father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, yes, lad, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And here's, here's what Abraham says. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And then we know the rest of the story. God spared Isaac just as Abraham's basically taking down the knife. Listen, a lamb, God will provide himself the lamb that will be sacrificed. And now we get to Luke 2, and the lamb has been provided for us to eventually be sacrificed on the cross. Listen, God doesn't fall short on meeting your needs. God, God doesn't fall short on, on, on just being born. He actually came to fulfill and seek and save that which was lost. The birth was the start of a demonstration and also an experience in a life that we live. Let, let, let me just put it to you this way. God, Jesus, Jesus came as royalty, but he came in the natural to be like you and me, to feel it. There's not been a person or a thing on the planet earth that has experienced the sacrifice that he experienced for something he didn't even deserve. It goes on to say, when we're talking about, about the, the death and resurrection, that he was actually beaten so bad that he was unrecognizable as a human man. They mistook him for a beast, an animal. I've seen some pretty gruesome things as a paramedic for 17 years. I've seen some pretty nasty things on railroad tracks and on highways and among other things. But I can tell you this, I can distinguish between a man, a human being, and a not a human being. Jesus was beaten so bad that he couldn't even distinguish him as a human being, as a man. He doesn't fall short on meeting our wants, our needs, and what we actually need. Listen, he came to the earth to be born from a virgin birth in a prophetic way to fulfill every prophecy that was ever foretold about him so that he could live for 30 years in identity as a son to do three years of ministry and then accomplish the greatest goal and the greatest purpose he came to the earth for, to die a price for you and I to conquer death, hell, and the grave and to resurrect again to bring us back to the Father for eternity. That's Jesus. That's Jesus for you and me. Let, let me finish this one point as the band comes. I believe this. They called two groups of people, and the angelic host joined them. They called the magi. Now, these, these, these wise men, even though we're poking fun about the Christmas story and how sometimes we get it chronologically wrong, you know, all these things, and Christmas is actually in October, not December. 
who cares? I'm thankful we have a holiday that we get to celebrate universally for Jesus. Some people just don't realize it yet. They get two days off work. They get a week off work. They get two weeks off work for inventory for Christmas. Everybody on Black Friday can thank, every, can thank Jesus for that. Here's the deal. He called these astrologers. He calls the, the, the messengers go and the angel shows up and, he, and he's calling the smartest people on the planet. He's calling those that represent the high class, the, 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 the wealthy. All right? But guess what? Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus is also calling the low class. Listen, that's the thing about worship. That's the thing about the ephod. It, it, it puts us all in the same playing field. It's the thing about praise and worship is, is we all get to adore the same God just in different ways, but from the same level playing field. He's God. We're not. The shepherds were the lowest form of occupation. The shepherd, if you remember the story of David, the shepherd was actually the lowest responsibility in the family. That's why David had it. He was the runt of the family. He was the, the one that everybody just forgot about. But guess what? Some of us who were forgot about, some of us who think we're nobodies, God's calling us to somebody's. And somebody shows up at Jesse's house and says, no, there, there's, there's one more. You belong at this table. I'm here to tell you right now that, that you guys, each one of you in your own way, you, you belong at this table. You, you, just when they go to Jesse's house, all of a sudden, no, there, there's one more. And, and where is he? Where is he? he? He's saying, there's a king. There's a king that, that we need to place as king. He says, no, I'm not looking for aptitude. I'm not looking for stature. Listen, he was the littlest of the family, but he was the chosen one. Sometimes we think we're forgotten about. Sometimes we think because of our past, we don't qualify. Sometimes we think because of, of this or that or, or what my mom told me or what my dad told me or what my friend told me or my, my boss told me. So I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus is saying you belong. He's saying that he didn't just call the wise men. He also called the shepherds. He called the wealthy and he called the unwealthy. He called the prestigious and he called the nobodies. He called the average. Listen, this is, this is what this message is. Jesus, when he comes to the forefront, all of us, all of a sudden just...